everybody, welcome back to the Lucky Dog Podcast. This is your host, Elias Roush. This podcast is sponsored by EliasRoushMedia.com, photo, video, digital media production. Today we are discussing the season finale of The Legend of Korra. Season 3. So, uh, yeah, I wanted to uh, get my thoughts and feelings out on this amazing television show. I've said it since avatar the last airbender the first season um it just continuously impresses me they continuously push the bounds of what you can do in animation the storytelling that you can do um i think that i've come to the realization that before watching avatar and the legend of korra i almost most certainly had some sort of uh, like kind of like a stigma against like a like a small stigma against uh, animation, mostly animated television shows, thinking that they're strictly for you know kids and kids only, um, you know not not like families but like kids only. The thing is, if you think back to like all the Disney properties that you can think of, when you're thinking about Toy Story, you're thinking about Lion King. Those have surpassed becoming just animated properties for kids or just for families. They have surpassed um, the the paradigm of just being a movie. They've become cultural icons in a way. And so um, I think there is somewhat of a stigma of being a kid's television show, meaning that it's going to be less than. So what I'm saying is when people were thinking about animated stuff, from back in the day you're like all right so it's probably for kids but not exactly if you think about how many adults enjoyed all of the disney properties and stuff like that i think that this kind of falls under that category of being better than most television shows better than most uh, a a chunk of uh, kids animated movies and non-animated kids movies just animated movies in general this is some of the best stuff I've ever seen. Um, from the choreography, from the, uh, the choreography, the choreography, from the, um, uh, from the story, from the writing, from the direction, from all of the characters, especially this season, it bumped it up a notch just like that. Uh, season one, excellent start to Korra. Season two, continued the world. It jumped into the spirit world in a way that didn't exactly... Um, relate to everybody, but I think that in the way that they left season two, brought season three even back with that much more oomph. And so, with saying all that, season three absolutely delivered the goods. Um, I I felt the emotional pulls. I felt all of uh, the dramatic beats. I thought they had split seconds of comedy with Bolin that really worked. I was just bowled over. I was, uh, I, I was actually cooking, watching one of the last few episodes, and about burned my shit because I was like, God, die! you know, I was like losing my shit watching, you know, paying too much attention to the damn uh, show, and I was just like, this is amazing, and I'm from from the sound design, from the look, um, absolutely digging this show, and which is why I have to get my feelings out on uh, the television show before I jump into the next one. Um, next season is what I mean, because uh, I want to be 
in this world again, which uh, I think I said in, uh, oh, look at that, look at this stupid hair, uh, <laughs> uh, which is kind of unfortunate the more I think about it when it comes down to um, like Netflix not bringing back the original creators like th these guys are fucking phenomenal i i was bowled over multiple times in this season by just uh, the level of maturity they have throughout this from the backstories of lin bay fong and the uh the metal clan absolutely thought it was amazing i had heard that this season was going to be much more airbender kind of quote-unquote based and I absolutely agree with it. it. It it needed the airbender feel. It was kind of going toward in a different direction that didn't felt a little bit more muddled. This season's bringing back some of uh, uh, the biggest characters uh, that I, I call like the ancestral characters that we have from the last Avatar. We you know uh, references to Katara, Sokka, Toph, um, Aang, all of uh, all of our favorite characters from the original Airbender series. And so, um, you know, having said all that, it is an absolutely phenomenal series. Um, let me pull up some additional content that we are going to discuss for season three. So we already did cover the uh, the first two episodes of The Legend of Korra. I don't really want to go into uh, episode by episode because this feels like uh, it, it does feel like a, an extended movie, 13 part movie um, that I definitely think we don't need to go through the whole thing episode by episode. It's fucking good. What do you want me to say? Um, let me see. Let me see. Alright, so yeah, chapter one, two, covered all that. We jumped into chapter three, that's where we really learn about uh, what's going on at Ba Sing Se, sketchiness. I always love some sketchy political intrigue, which is something that this show really hammers on. I remember it in um, The Last Airbender as well, just phenomenal at making you feel uneasy in some of these um, places, these cities that are supposed to be you know, real, uh, run well and efficiently um, and legally, but there's always some sketchiness happening behind the scenes. Turns out in this season, there is the, I think it's the Earth Queen, I believe. The Earth Queen is, um, is essentially taking all of these airbenders and one of them being the new character Kai. He's kind of like this uh, little Aladdin-esque character running around stealing shit, and he ends up being an airbender as well because of the airbending harmonic convergence thing happening and everybody getting random airbending abilities. Um, um, it, that was, you know, that was essentially what happened. Queen's rounding up all of the uh, airbenders and having them serve under her, and so that... Uh, leads to you know everybody having to uh, save the airbenders kind of thing and then Tenzin having to take the airbenders and liberate them kind of thing really liked it Tenzin had a hell of a season I will say that I season two 
my problem with Tenzin's character and um and uh, all of Aang's kids, I felt like they didn't know what to do with those characters, and so they were just kind of trying to uh, come up with like emotional plot points and beats to kind of really have them, um, you know, in not in harm's way, but to be part of the plot in season two. So season three, having them actually do things, having having Boomy even discover having airbending is one of the most enjoyable parts and aspects of this season, and. Uh, Honestly, Boomy and Kaya and Tenzin have become like uh, some of my favorite characters in the Airbending universe because of their interactions in the last two seasons. Um, so yeah, let me see what else we got on here. The Metal Clan that was uh, chapter five. That's where we uh, met Suyin Beifong, Lin's uh, Lin Beifong's estranged half-sister and mother of Opal, uh, the new airbender there. Um, we get some amazing backstory with Toph's daughters. I thought Toph's daughters, uh, uh, Yin and Lin, have, uh, I think it's maybe two or three episodes that really are tackling what's going on with, um, with Lin's problem, the, Lin's problem with Yin. Su Yin was a was a piece of shit when she was younger. She was running around, uh, committing crimes, doing terrible things, with uh, uh, you know bad guys being a just being a nuisance. And Lin was trying to keep her, you know, on out of trouble essentially. But Toph, being um, the leader of Republic City's uh, police force, has to kind of you know, cater to her daughters, and so she's not going to punish her daughters like she would otherwise, and so we find out that Toph had to step down because of uh, Su Yin's behavior and possibly the fact that there was backlash on um, how Toph was running the city. I thought there's just so much um, mature storytelling happening during this, uh, this especially I can't remember the last time I've ever seen an animated television show where they mentioned that they have a half or stepsister. I was just like, wow, that is extremely bold. And, and given uh, I have step siblings and I, you know, I consider my brother just like, just like my, you know, my real blood brother. So I can totally understand, um, uh, you know, non-traditional cities, uh, non-traditional families in a way. Um, but yeah, I we we see the backstory with, um, with what happened to Toph in a way. Apparently, she's still alive. We don't see her throughout this entire season, with the exception of backstory. Um, she's apparently traveling the uh, the world. Kind of cool, teaching people metal bending and um, earth bending away. It she becomes just like, I don't know, like this symbol for the metal benders away in a way. I don't know. Suyin was an interesting character, kind of like blissfully ignorant to the rest of the world, kind of like, you know, got an architect husband, got her son doing all the work, got, you know, she's not exactly, um, I don't know, it seems like she's a little bit blissful to the, the dangers of the world in a way. Um, and then, of course, we find out what happened to Lin's face, and it was from uh, Su Yin being arrested by one of those, you know, metal bending, um, 
wires or something like that. She had it on her wrist from her sister, and Su Yin goes around, cuts that thing off, and it comes back and slaps uh, Lin directly in the side of the face. And we, I mean, we found out where you know her scars are from. I mean, I think that's that was one of the most interesting um, backstories in a way. And it's not like I. I I kind of remember them doing this type of storytelling in Lost a little bit. Like they'd say, all right, um, what is it? Jack has a tattoo. Let's now let's do a whole episode on the tattoo. It's like, first of all, that was 45 minutes is a little excessive on one, you know, a scar on somebody. It's not that interesting. But there was this big, it's, there's this uh, curiosity of why Lynn doesn't like going to the metal clan. And so, there's the, the 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 way they unravel the mystery is so much better than just saying all right this one character has a, a interesting flaw or you know an interesting aspect about them let's find out how they you know they became that way um it, you know i think they have the slow reveal in this that works a lot better um and of course we have the really amazing fight between lin and sue sue yen I do feel like there was, I think she gets like bonked on the head. Um, Lynn gets bonked on the head and kind of like, it's like, okay, all of a sudden it feels like it's, it's a leap in logic a little bit, but, um, I do feel like they might need to, to, they might need to have had a little bit more of a conversation about, you know, uh, what, you know why you've been causing so much why suyin's been causing so much stress to um lynn this entire time so um let's uh let's continue on um you know we got the continuation of uh the white lotus sorry the red lotus and they are let me white lotus throw over through government second Okay, so Zahir throws a way into the fog of lost souls, explains the goals of his secret society, the Red Lotus, to Korra, an offshoot of the Order of the White Lotus, which apparently the Red Lotus is apparently a real thing. I, I'm, I'm still learning about it. Um, they want to overthrow governments in service of the ideological belief that chaos is the natural state of the world. While Zahir stalls for time, his allies close in on Korra's inanimate uh, body. Bolin and Mako are overpowered while Asami, fleeing with Naga with Korra's body, is captured by the Earth Queen's forces. The Red Lotus follows in pursuit. These guys are fucking ruthless. I was in shock about how bad... Well, bad. they were badass, but... A couple of scenes in, uh, earlier, I felt like, I was like, whoa, the team has the entire Red Lotus all in a, uh, you know, backed up in a corner. And, you know, uh, I think this was like episode like seven or eight when they were uh, kind of backed up trying to, I think they they're they were trying to make an escape. But um, the, the fact is, they seem underpowered at first and then they go to straight overpowered after but i i don't know if it's because they just get like the upper hand they don't have cora they don't have everybody all in the same location when they're attacking the airbenders later in the season um uh, and attacking tenzin oh my god i was like they are going to fucking kill this guy it i mean it it literally 
they they beat the shit out of Tenzin. There's like whoops, 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 using all the different elements, and then the one scene that just is horrifying. I think it happens in. Um, let me see. I think it is. I think it happens in like eleven or something like that. Oh no no sorry, chapter ten. En route to Ba Sing Se, Korra and Asami escape from their cell. Oh, and I forgot that entire... They, they, they Hannibal Lecter Korra in this season. <laughs> I was like, this is excessive. It, this is turned in from a kid's cartoon, kid's animated television show, to some real high-level shit at this point. Korra and Asami escape from their cell, but crash land the, air, uh, the airship in the desert. Working with the airship's crew, they escape a massive desert animal and arrive back at the oasis. This episode did kind of feel a little bit like a filler of an episode, just kind of like, all right, uh, you know, it, it almost felt like one of the, the airbending episodes when they got stuck somewhere and they had to fix something and help people to get out of a place or something, you know, it's kind of a uh, traditional airbending um, episode. Um, in Ba Sing Se, the Red Lotus proposed to to exchange Mako and Bolin for Korra to the Earth Queen. After hearing of Korra's escape, they attack and defeat da the Dali, and Zahir uses his airbending to asphyxiate the Earth Queen to death. Now, we've seen numerous takes on the airbending and what exactly can be done with it. We've seen numerous takes on water... Sorry. We've seen numerous takes on waterbending. We've seen multiple takes on uh, firebending. We've seen multiple takes on, uh, you know, earthbending. Everything seems to have some sort of external element they can control past that. Now, airbending is kind of like this one where it's like, all right, well, how does airbending work a little bit? Because, you know, pretty much everything's made out of water in a way. You can absorb water from things. Uh, you know, earth is just about everywhere, I guess. <laughs> I mean, just about everywhere. Um, fire, and they just kind of like bring fire out of thin air. So, um Air, air is kind of like a different element that they have to work with. And uh, this season, instead of bringing something scary as hell like the uh, the blood bending back, they go a little bit further and they just say instead of pushing air, moving air, what about like removing air? And so they remove the oxygen from the Earth Queen's uh, lungs, and you can just see it coming out of. Her mouth and it's like floating around and around her head it's like this little dome that goes around her head and it is pulling all of the air out of her lungs absolutely horrifying death i think that asphyxiation has got to be one of the scariest ways to go um but in an animated television show when they're talking about air bending it's like that is the last thing i thought that they were going to do and they went there they essentially showed her choking to death and then Go to the next scene. Done. I was like, what? Rest in peace, the Earth Queen? I was like, this is insane. What? This fucking fly. I'm going to fucking flip this shit. There's a fucking fly I'm trying to kill in here. I'm pissing me off. But the fucking Earth Queen, dude. I, Guys, gals, chat, whoever. I, I, was, I was freaking out. I was like, did they just fucking kill the Earth Queen? And then when uh, Bolin's like grandmother or something like that, her aunt says something about it, she's like, "Yeah, yeah, long live the queen." It's like, "Oh my God, she fucking died." When they were they were when they said that the Earth Queen died, 
I was like, holy shit, I think that we might have some good guys on the list too that are, you know, a possibility. Um, you know, Bolin, Mako, we got Ten. When Tenzin was getting his shit rocked, I think it was the next episode, I had actually listened to a, a podcast had, that had predicted in season two that we were going to lose. Sorry, at the at, at the beginning of the season, they said, this looks like a season we could probably lose Tenzin in. I didn't believe it until I saw the Earth Queen literally get asphyxiated. And I was like, oh my gosh, if this is a here guy fucking uh, do, does this little asphyxiation uh, airbending tactic with Tenzin, I'm going to lose my shit. I was like, this is some intense, this is some real, real shit. You know, I was, for better or for worse, I was going to flip a sack. I, I was on pins and needles that Tenzin was not going to make it after, after this episode. Um, so yeah, the, um, uh, it, it, it's, let me see, let me see, let me see. I think it's chapter 11. Let, let's, let's jump into chapter 11. I'll start giving y'all some uh, synopsis so that we can talk about this a little bit better. Okay. So what do we got? Uh, chapter 11 right here. As the inner city of Ba Sing Se is looted and razed. Razed? Razed? I don't know. Uh, and riots and fires spread throughout the outer city, Mako and Bolin escape with their family to the Misty Palms Oasis. They tell Korra and Zaheer... Sorry, they tell Korra that Zaheer intends to kill the airbenders at the Northern Air Temple. Unless she surrenders to him. After speaking to Iroh in the spirit world, shout out to Iroh jumping back in, they, they can't leave that character alone, but I really like just even, even seeing him makes me feel good. Something about that character just makes me all warm and fuzzy inside. Um, Korra uses the Metal Clan's uh, radio to contact Tenzin just as the Red Lotus is attacking the temple. Tenzin resists the invaders with his siblings while the other airbenders attempt to escape. After the, uh, after the defenders are overpowered, the Red Lotus throws Kaya and Bumi off the mountain and subdue the exhausted and badly beaten Tenzin. They beat the shit out of all of Aang's kids. I was like, Aang, I need you to come back from the spirit world. Straight Avatar into this shit. Go into the purple state mode. It's like... Um... I was actually very surprised we didn't get the Avatar state in this. I think it's the first season we haven't gotten the Avatar state since, uh, or like the true Avatar state since uh, season. I mean, every other season, I feel like all the Avatars, you know, Aang and Korra have gone into the purple state, but I guess we really might not have the uh, connection anymore. Chapter 12, Enter the Void. Korra agrees to give herself up to the Red Lotus to save the airbenders. Kind of the same thing as, I feel like every season they're like, all right, Korra, we need to, you to give up so that, uh, you know, you save the city, save the family, save somebody. And she always does, but it never works. I don't know why. The, Korra agrees to give herself up to the Red Lotus to save the airbenders. But as she does so, her friends discover that Zaheer has already re removed the hostages from the temple. Gazan traps Tenzin, Asami, Mako, and Bolin with lava and flees with Ming Hu. Hoi. I forgot her name. Ming. 
But uh, Korra's friends escape successfully thanks to Bolin's newfound lava-bending skills. So for the longest time, we keep thinking that Bolin's actually going to be a metal bender. Turns out that was a red herring. He's a lava bender. He can come through and save the day with that. Um, I A uh, couple things. I like the fact that they have these bending abilities, but these bending abilities are within a certain realm, which is why I kind of have a mixed feeling about with Zaheer's new abilities. I did hear that they would try to go full Dragon Ball Z, but if you go full Dragon Ball Z, there's just no... Uh, I don't know. There doesn't feel like there is the connection in a way. Like, I can totally get what it feels like to have a rock thrown at you. I know what it feels like to have water thrown at you. You know what it feels like to uh, to be burned or, or to not be able to breathe right. You know, That's, those are all very relatable elements. When it comes to flying, it's like, all right, visually it's amazing to look at. Um, but what is, what is the limit? You know, I always felt like airbending, sorry, not airbending, but the, the avatar concept of the world was always so cool because people weren't just, uh, things weren't just like flying. They couldn't just throw a shield up and, and, and block, uh, block things from happening. You know, when, when Bolin is actively trying to save them from the lava he's having to do the move he's trying he has to do the whatever the rock bending move that causes the rock to come up he has to do that move like 10 times it's not like he does a really big one and it's a really big rock that comes out of there and then saves the day you can actively see them like having to work at each one of the bending each one of these elements it's not easy exactly you know when they're doing the when ang in the last avatar was facing some of his biggest foes you know he's doing all these fucking moves but at the same time he was having to defend himself using you know maybe air air bending or something like that or uh you, you know you know having a rock come up like that you know I, what i'm saying is the realm of plausibility and understanding it's like okay you can see clearly that the rock came from underneath that person, that character, and is blocking them, and is blocking them from being attacked from something else. But that doesn't mean that piece of earth that they moved is going to stay there forever. Like it, it means it's continuous elements always coming at you. And so the thing I do like about them constantly having to show that it, it, it's not like it, it's not like. Dragon Ball Z in a way where, you know, they just throw balls at each other, you know, throw you know, little, I know people are going to spaz on me for all this, but it, I don't understand. I, again, I haven't watched it. I don't understand, uh, you know, where the energy is coming from in Dragon Ball Z versus where I can understand where elements are coming from or, um, that they are, you know, bending elements in a way. Energy just seems to come out of nowhere in Dragon Ball Z. Korra feels like at least, you know, they are grabbing a rock off the ground and throwing it. It's not like they're just forming stuff right out of thin air. So anyways, uh, that, that's my short form of saying um, they are walking the fine line of it making still, uh, still leaving it grounded. Even the fact that Zaheer can fly, 
it's you can, you can barely believe that you you know you still believe it just a little bit. Given he's an Airbender, it makes sense why Airbender should be able to fly. You know, I'm Aang essentially could fly um, with his glider. Um, but anyways, okay, so Bolin's new found lava bending skills save the day for them. Meanwhile, Lin, Suyin, and her metal benders fight uh, Pai Li. Suyin breaks the deadlock by killing Pai Li with the contained force of her own combustion bending. I was so surprised. Once again, I think this was actually a cut scene. They, uh, Lin and Bei Fong, I th sorry, Lin Bei Fong and Su Yin, Lin and Bei Fong are the same person. Lin and Su Yin um, are fighting Pai Li, and she has this like you know the combustion eye, just like Combustion Man and a uh, Airbender, fucking absolute badass, and she's doing it from like way up in a big ass blimp looking thing uh she's down fighting lynn and uh whatnot and then they threw this fucking like uh uh looks like a piece of metal or something like that and hits her directly it's either in the back or the front of the head i, I don't remember exactly it hits her in the fucking head but apparently that hit fucking kills her fucking kills her and that's the here's girl so he just casually says at the end of, uh, I think at the beginning of, yeah, at the beginning of the next episode, he's like, yeah, casually, um, Pylee's dead and she sacrificed, you know, for the quote unquote greater good. It's like, God dang, you fucking merciless. And so that's two, I'd say major characters, not, not, uh, protagonists, but they're still major characters that were taken off the board in pretty crazy ways. So, um... So here fights Korra and Tonrock, who is uh, thrown off a cliff but saved by the metal bending captain, uh, Kariva. Have we met Kariva? She's she seems like this new character that they're trying to like introduce. Zelda Williams plays the voice of that. I don't really know who that is, um, but she's just like, "Hi, I'm Kariva." Um, oh, she is the daughter of late actor and comedian Robin Williams. Oh, wow. Oh, oh, wow. I can kind of see it a little bit. I guess that's why they were giving her a little bit of time on uh, screen time. Zaheer escapes with unconscious Korra using his new profile, new found ability to fly. So yeah, that's where he just straight up escapes. I had been a little bit, not spoiled, but I had heard that people were talking about, yeah, somebody's going to be able to fly at the end of this. And I was like, eh. And after watching it, it's like, yeah, it probably makes sense because he's always talking about the the guru. Uh, I forgot which which guru he's talking about. Um, guru. You'll know. I, I'll let y'all do the details on that. I, I can't find that. He's talking about a guru or something like that, talking about basically letting go of anything all all things that he cares about i guess i don't, I don't, I don't know basically achieving nirvana in a way i'm still trying to kind of figure out what was going on um henry rollins is the voice of that uh is a here actually i wasn't quite sure about that um i really like his voice so who do we else do we got um okay so chapter 13 let's do this real quick the Red Lotus tortures a chained Korra by poisoning her, poisoning her with mercury. 
in order to force her force her to the point of death, triggering the Avatar state before they kill her, which would end the cycle of the Avatar's rebirth. However, a wrathful Korra overpowers her captors and fights Zaheer in the skies. Meanwhile, her friends find and rescue the airbenders. After Mako electrocutes Ming Hu, he and Bolin narrowly escape Gazan's collapsing the Red Lotus's lair on top of himself. As Korra is about to succumb to the poison, Jinora leads two leads the airbenders to pull Zaheer out of the sky with a massive air vortex formed from the combined bending. Zaheer is captured and Suyin metal bends the poison out of Korra. Two weeks later in Republic City, a weakened, wheelchair-bound Korra watches as Tenzin anoints Jinora as airbending master and rededicates the air nomads to a nomadic life of service to the world following Korra's example. And so that does it for season three of Korra. No, I'm just kidding. We, we got to talk about this last episode. Korra fucking goes ham. I'm like, you must be out of your freaking mind if you are going to chain up the Avatar and just throw some metal on her. Like, what do you think this is? Like, she's the freaking Avatar. She is going to go ham. And she absolutely did. I was so ready for her to just... I mean, she goes full on like uh, Uncle Iroh with the, 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 the flaming voice uh dragon fire from the uh throat is like and then she's uh, when they start to go into like full when she starts just getting crazy and whatnot after they give her in the the whole thing of so the way to kill the avatar is you need to put her in the avatar state like this sounds like the dumbest the dumbest idea i mean i understood kind of where they were coming from they're like okay we don't want kings queens we don't want people ruling over us people should rule themselves okay i understand what they're talking about but when they're like, all right, and then we have to kill the Avatar by putting her in the Avatar state? Are you kidding me? It's like, okay, so we need to make her the most powerful she can be. And then, and then we can kill her. That that did not seem to make sense to me, in my opinion. But it's like, okay, whatever you, whatever you got to say to to get her in the state. There were some looks that Korra was giving, like some looks that she's just like, like f f trying to hold herself back from going into the avatar state it's like the the most profound looks it's just like oh my goodness um but yeah she goes she goes ham goes full fucking tony stark has like fire coming from her feet like you know like we'll see you later see you next time i was like zaheer is about to get bucked up <laughs> like i like he's kind of badass and he he has good uh evasive moves he's a good uh uh, air bending, airbender when it comes to the fighting, but when it comes to like, I don't know, fighting like a, a avatar, I don't think that he he can do it. <laughs> and so, yeah, eventually, um, they bring Zaheer down. I knew the entire time Korra was uh, going around with that chain that she was gonna throw it up there and wrap it around him. I was like, this is too obvious. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I it it was. A tad cheesy bringing uh, Zaheer out of the sky, but it was it was cool seeing the, the airbenders all work together. I was curious if they were ever going to come back into the story and do anything. Um, uh, I was surprised the magnets didn't come back with the the 
metal city kind of stuff. I feel like they were talking about, was it Ton? Not Ton Rock, but uh, Varric was talking about uh, uh, magnets possibly helping or something like that. But I think he was just bullshitting. Um, yeah, what a fucking season. I I really liked the Asami Korra um, aspects of this season. I thought they they really knocked it out of the park. Um, Mako and Bolin. Mako's kind of been put onto the the back burner a little bit. He's he, he's having to be awkward and shit like that, or kind of unnatural because he dated both Korra and Asami, and he's just trying to find his way a little bit. He's not nearly as interesting as he was in the first season. Like uh, uh, I, I've really flipped on PJ Byrne and Mako's character. Like uh, Bolin, I like Bolin a lot better, and I think most people do just because his comedic timing just just works. Um, Lin Bei Fong and Su Yin, obviously phenomenal, uh, really loved watching, um, and learning about their stories. Definitely need to continue with that. Tenzin, learning how to be a better leader, absolutely he needs to do that. What do we got? Asami, like I said, Asami and Korra have some amazing scenes throughout this, even at the beginning, just fucking works. Uh, Janora, the reveal of Janora at the end, it's like, oh my gosh, are we watching the Avatar anymore? Or are we watching Korra or the Avatar anymore? It's like, holy shit. And, uh, uh let's see how long that lasts. Let's see. Because they went full non-binary. I was like, whoa. Um, and Kai. I didn't know Kai was considered a main character, but, um, I guess we do needed a kind of a shit character that needed to be kind of put through the... Uh, put through hell so that we could care about him at the end he still was a little bit annoying although i did get kind of just like a anti uh anti ang when i kind of watched him but i still thought he was an interesting character to uh, bring into the the fold and i thought he was actually going down several times too um the way they use comedy in this season i thought worked so well i with the exception of maybe at the very end uh tad cringy here and there um but when there's super dramatic beats, when the uh, the Earth Queen was dying and stuff like that, they still had time to put a 10-second joke just to kind of relieve the pressure. I was very impressed with the way that they were able to overall handle this season. Um, for next season, I have no idea how they're going to handle it. I mean, wheelchair-bound Korra at the end is crying, watching Janora um, become like... Uh, airbending master got the tattoos and everything i was just like um this is kind of like the end of season one in a way where she had that that single tear except she had lost her her uh, bending abilities at that point but now she she's just weak to my knowledge so it's going to be interesting to see her her journey back and see how she progresses after this um given that she's faced you know she saw uh all of the previous antagonists when she was being tortured um and so that you know it, it it's it's a pretty good roundup to be honest if if they really wanted this to be the last season uh, it definitely could be if they wanted to but i i see this fourth season i i, I hear that it's it, it's just as good as the other ones that two's probably the, on the lower tier but four you know one three four apparently those really hit and so I'm excited to start number uh, season four. Um, let me know what you thought about the podcast. Let me know how I can improve. Um, I am just soft releasing uh, Patreon 
patreon.com slash podcast. It's a Patreon with uh, three separate tiers. First tier, you are going to get, for $3 a month, you are going to get weekly um, weekly stuff on all the tiers are going to be uh, released. But first tier is reviews of movies over five years old. Second tier is uh, reviewing all of those retro review retro review movies and we're going to review animated television shows as well think of stuff like Korra if you like this you'll probably like uh we're going to talk about we you know do you remember classics such as like SpongeBob such as uh Yu-Gi-Oh such as um you know such as Avatar the Last Airbender stuff just like this classics um and then you'll have access to the main podcast stream also, that is on the second tier, and those are early releases as well. And then the four, uh, the third tier is the all access Lucky Dog VIP special. You get everything early. You get uh, the retro reviews. You get the animated reviews. You get uh, the entire library as well. So that is ten dollars a month. So it's three, five, and ten. So you choose how you want to help support the Lucky Dog podcast. Anything. If you don't even uh, have any money to support that's totally cool you can paypal it a dollar dollar two if you can't do that five stars on itunes subscribe on youtube watch live on twitch catch uh these podcasts early um in your podcast uh way of preference whatever you want to do so thank you for listening watching lug it out podcast and hmm, just like that appa yip yip